WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 169. <laughs> 69. All about the Rings of Power. Season 1, episode 4, The Great Wave. Being the 169th part of That's What I'm Talking About. Yes, I am a child. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, but right now we are all experiencing Rings of Power for the first time together. Today, I am joined by actor and community organizer, and honestly, someone who I've seen in my Twitter sphere, my Tolkien sphere for a while, and I just wanted to chat with. Anna Maria, welcome. Woo! I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, I've seen like your name and your profile and stuff like show up in various platforms. And I was like, I got to reach out to her. So I'm glad I did. Absolutely. I'm so sorry. My earpods are like coming out right now. I have like, I've also been seeing you around for like a hot minute. I, first of all, I'm so excited by just anybody being brought onto the legendarium in any capacity. And the fact that you're chronicling this is so special. Like I wish you know, I wish when I was like seven, I had started chronicling my reactions in real time. I think this is so, so sick. Yeah, it is really fun to like go back and and be able to hear certain reactions or thoughts. Or the funniest thing is when I go back and look through my notes that I was taking as I was reading everything and, and being like, wow, this is hilarious. Like I remember in the first chapter of Lord of the Rings, it mentioned something about like walking trees. And I was like, walking trees? What is this? <laughs> the um, Prince Caspian movie? Just because that was like, my like touchstone <laughs> and then like you know i learned that like c.s lewis and tolkien were friends and then there yeah. are ints showing up and like they're influenced by each other and like all this stuff so yeah it's really fun to go back and see those reactions and thoughts um why don't you tell me and the listeners what your history was like with with tolkien or lord of the rings like what have you read or watched or anything so, okay, first off, I was raised by two Tolkien nerds, which is just a blessing, <laughs> a blessing in every way. Um, I first read The Hobbit when I was seven. We had like a little family book club of like my parents and I that they would read whatever I'm reading and we would like read aloud to each other. It was really cute. So one of my earliest memories is reading the end of The Hobbit aloud and having to pass the book off to my dad because I couldn't bear to read Thorin's death aloud. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> distraught. Um, and then I watched the trilogy when I was eight. Uh, hooked. I was. It was over for me. I was done for. Um, and that was actually a huge reason why I wanted to be an actor. Um, and then I read the trilogy when I was nine. And I tried to read the Silmarillion when I was ten. Did not work. Um. The fact that you read the books when you were nine is astounding to me in and of itself. That's madness. You know, I was a very bookwormish kid. Um, I think it was around the age of like 12 where I finally put my foot down. I was I was really irked that I hadn't been able to get through the Silmarillion. Like that just drove me up the wall. And so I was like, I need to know Tolkien's works the way I know Harry Potter. And so I sat down. I had like a little map open. I had a secondary copy of the Silmarillion open to the glossary and I had the primary copy. I was like, I'm going to get this if it kills me. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, that's dedication right there. Absolutely. I made little color-coded flashcards and then, you know, the rest is history. Over the last several years, I've like read all the expanded lore and I, I try to reread the legendarium, like the core legendarium annually. So I'm, you know, we're in it, just deep in it. <laughs> How are you feeling right now with Rings of Power? Like what are, what are some like, gen- you know, because also of note, we are now halfway through the season with this episode, which is so crazy. So like, I know I have, I don't know, a lot of times I'm just like, you know what, maybe I don't know how I feel. I'm just having a good time. And <laughs> I'm just, you know, here for the ride. So what are your like, h- how are you feeling at this point, you know, coming in? Having a good time and here for the ride. Excellent phrases, very apt phrases. I think um, I very deliberately did not go online or go on a friend's podcast and give a take until now this was this was 100 percent deliberate because i was like i absolutely like i i joined in like fellowship of fans last week because i like felt really good about episode three but i was i was really like i want to give i want to give actual time because i know they're going to take time with this story and so Episodes one and two, I saw at the premiere, which is really, really cool. And I was, and I really liked them, but I wasn't like sold. I wasn't like completely starry eyed and in love with it the way I, the way I wanted to be. But I knew that they were really, they were setting up so many things. They were setting up so many different geographic areas and families and everything. So I was like, let me give it time. I was like, episode three will tell me whether or not I'm really hopeful because Numenor, I think, is the heart of the second age. And we got to Numenor and I was like, this is getting really good. Like, this is really, I really loved episode three. And then episode four outdid episode three for me. So each, each episode is better than the last. Really liked one, really, really liked two, loved three, absolutely loved four. So now I'm like, all right, I'm in it. I'm like, I'm invested. I believe that they did a beautiful job. And now I'm, I have a sense of how they're pacing everything. And I have a sense of how they're allowing things to grow really organically. They have the confidence not to rush things. And that's super exciting for me. I'm just having a great time. That's, you know, that's a really great way just saying they have the confidence not to rush things. I think is that that like has really added a new perspective for me because I have kind of been like, okay, I really feel like we're like dragging things out. Like we're, we're really slow on the uptake here. You know, I think this series is going to be a a lot more of a slow burn than something like really dramatic and impactful right out of the gate. Um, Yeah, I do think this episode is, I, I, I would agree that for me personally, each episode is better than the, than the previous one. And like the way that we see things like, some pieces coming together and we're learning more about characters. We're getting more time with more characters that we're like, well, hang on, like what's her deal. And then we find out like, okay, that's her deal. I get it now. So I find that ironic too. You and I both say that episode four, at least for us personally, it was better than episode three, just going off of Rotten Tomatoes critic score. They gave this episode an 81%, which is the lowest that they've given um, episodes so far. So that's, I found that interesting. You know, that's the beauty of art. People, just like some people love the Harfoots, some people are really not on board with the Harfoots. This is so subjective. And I love why that. It was so low. It's because the Harfoots weren't in this episode. Uh, that's interesting. Why, that's why. They were like, bring yeah. the hobbits back. Bring them back. Yes. <laughs> we love them. The episode description for this one is The Queen Regent Muriel's faith is tested. 
Isildur comes to a crossroads. I find that interesting that they put that in there because I don't think I would have pulled that out as like this was like a key mo- a key yeah. plot point in this episode, but okay. Um, Arondir receives an ultimatum. Elrond unveils a secret. Theo disobeys Bronwyn. Mm. I just okay. love these episode descriptions because they have to be as vague as possible. Just <laughs> so generic. They're like, here are the yeah. vibes. Here are the vibes of your favorite characters and what they're up to. Yeah, like I might have said, um, yeah, like the Queen Regent Muriel's faith is tested. That sounds good to me. I probably would have left out the part about Isildur. Mm. Um, he's like not exactly important right now he's just like some kid in the background causing trouble you know Arondir receives an ultimatum that sounds fine yeah I guess maybe like Elrond and Durin's friendship is tested or like is taken to another love I don't know something or is renewed um and then instead of like Theo disobeys Bronwyn maybe like um Theo uncovers more darkness in the land or something i don't know or discovers the reaches of darkness i don't know let's see what else i'm trying to think of like anything else about i would say another i don't know just general thing for this episode is that i it's really hard for me because i do remember watching it and like being able there were like certain points where i was like i don't know how i feel about this how i feel about this but then like the ending for me was such a banger that i was like great episode quality so i don't so like i feel like they've really done that the past uh that's kind of their um style is like they go out each episode ends with a bang to be like for for you to have that immediately in your mind to be like wow that was awesome i want to see what happens next you know they're really good at maintaining like just ending on something that keeps you hooked even if it's not necessarily a cliffhanger it has that energy and what i'm what i'm really interested in and just the overall format of this series is because we've never consumed middle earth as a series before right so i think we're all getting used to this completely different style of pacing rather than like a like a three-act film structure over a course of many films but like i'm obsessed with how they have a thousand tiny cliffhangers throughout the show they're like here's two minutes of numenor and we're gonna cut in the middle of a very tense scene and we're gonna go to the southlands we're gonna cut in the middle of something very tense like they're really it seems like a a big focus in the editing room was like maintaining interest even throughout the episode and into the next one and i'm kind of obsessed with the the drama of that (laughs) yeah and it's um i think that's yeah that's definitely a good way of maintaining the watchers the audience's interest throughout all these different plot lines because usually shows that have multiple characters like this it's like an a plot b plot c plot whereas this I don't like I don't even know like what you would begin to I mean like I I guess like like Galadriel story I guess is the a plot but like everything else is I wouldn't even say like a b plot it's like an a minus plot you know like (laughs) yeah I think that's what's and you know I think that that's actually why I enjoyed this episode so much is because we we had to spend a couple episodes with all of these completely isolated stories happening like you said it's like is it a b is it an a minus but with this episode things like the threads really started to come together for the first time in earnest and I was like oh this is such a satisfying feeling that all of the different things that were happening in isolation are starting to really join into one like overarching oh no, there's darkness in Middle-earth. 
um, which is satisfying as a viewer. Yeah. Let's jump right into talking about the details of everything. If you haven't watched this week's um, Rings of Power episode, turn off now and return later. Um, Yeah, I think we, I mean, I don't think it's that much of a giveaway. We already mentioned that we don't see the Harfoots this episode, um, which is the first time we have not seen them. Um, And then I think for the most part, all of the other characters that we're with, like we already knew about. Um, I don't think there are any new characters. The only new character I can think of that was introduced in this episode is um Farazan's son and Farazan is the advisor I think to Muriel um and his son is I believe his name is Kemen Kemen our boy (laughs) and he comes in flirting mad with um uh, Elendil's daughter um I looked it up because the previous episode I was like I don't remember her name sorry um Aarian our queen I really really love Aarian I really love uh it's like precious she's precious (laughs) I love the entire I love that uh, family trio I think their dynamic is really strong and their chemistry is excellent um but yeah I guess technically I mean this is the first time we've probably seen Adar you know, after just yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because in the previous episode, he was out of focus at the very end. Yeah, that's right. We do see more of Adar, um, and then I think we see Muriel's father, even yeah. though he doesn't he doesn't like have any lines or anything. But we learn more about him. So those are kind of like the new characters that we're um, exploring more this episode. But yeah, for the most part, now it's like okay, we know who these characters are. Even though, like, a lot of times I still have to, like, be like, okay, wait, what? what's the name of this character? Who am I about to Who am I about to talk about? That being said about the Harfoots, I think it makes total sense that we don't see them this episode because theoretically they're just traveling, you know? Like, that's where we left them on the previous episode as they were starting off on their next migration. And I think it's presumed that they're still migrating. They're still talking, you know, walking, so. <laughs> yeah, and I think... I don't know. So like, I, I adore the Harfoots. I think, um, they're just so precious. And I think Nori is such, first of all, that actress is doing an amazing job. She's awesome. She's so magnetic in every way. Um, but even just thinking about, you know, like I'm a lore girl and like, there isn't really a lot about like hobbits or Harfoots, um, in the second age. And I, and I'm thinking about how, how much we were able to delve into this episode and how much we were able to develop. And I'm like, yeah, like I kind of like, this framing of like, let's focus on the elves, men and dwarves, because that's the meat and potatoes of the second age. Um, So I like enjoy snippets of the Harfoots, um, whatever they've got going on with the stranger. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that. And I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think the Harfoots are essentially like, I don't think they would have been included in this story had it not been for the stranger coming in, you know? Absolutely. So I think they're, they're just like a means for, showing the audience more about the stranger 100 first i like yeah again it's like i don't even know what to talk about first um because i don't like i don't know what's like the most impactful but i i guess numenor is huge um like ever like the development and everything that's happened on the numenor side of things in this episode um we have i'll, I'll talk like a little bit more about isildur because in the previous episode we didn't really focus on him much but like his dream we kind of learn more about their family dynamics and he has an older brother who wanted to sail off to the west and supposedly has gone missing or 
left them entirely or something. And he wants to do that as well. And he ends up getting he and his friends dismissed from the the sail guard camp, whatever it's called. <laughs> um, and and so like that's his motivation for what he does at the end of the episode. It's like I was kind of laughing because in one of the scenes he says, like, I've brought shame on the family name. And I'm like, Boy, not, relax. Not quite yet. Like, why don't also like why don't you wait a little bit? Cause you got something more coming later on in life. <laughs> Absolutely. I that also sent me. I was like, baby, you have no idea. <laughs> yes. Um No, I you know, this is such a minor quit, but I think it's really interesting that they've decided to make Anarion the older brother because canonically he is the younger. I think that's a really interesting Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting choice to make. Um so, like, casting Isildur as this, like, person kind of looking out on his brother's shadow is, like, an interesting character choice that I'm on board with. Um, I love that we get to see this, like, lost, unmoored Isildur who obviously has a good heart. Because I, I've talked about this before, but Isildur is one of my favorite characters. I think he was done completely dirty by Jackson's prologue. I love, I love PJ. I love PJ. But that, like, melodramatized no, I will take the, you know, um, so I really loved seeing, I really loved seeing the conflict. I really love that, um, his sister is on track now to be probably turned into one of like the King's men to turn her back on the faithful entirely. That's what I'm gathering from the Kemen thing is that he's absolutely trying to get to their family. Um, oh yeah like she's like in the building yeah i didn't think about yeah i didn't necessarily think about that of like them trying to get to his interesting yeah yeah because it's like the fact that um kemen goes after isildur's sister right after like medial sort of like confronts Elendil and Farazan notices that Elendil is getting a little busy, like he's getting involved with the whole Galadriel thing. Like I think, you know, Elendil's name being Elf Friend, like I think Farazan is making a calculated move to get at least one of the family on their side. Mm. See, that kind of pains me to hear because he was Kemen was like really smooth with so the smooth. the moves that he was putting on Arian. She he like there's a moment where they bump into each other when she's supposed to be. I also I, so she's an apprentice. <laughs> she's an apprentice, and she's like scrubbing floors, and she's like the guild master says it's for de- dexterity. It's like or so he says, mm-hmm. and I love just that little moment of showing that like kind of like the real world um like reality of like being an intern and just being sent to like fetch coffee or something like this is that equivalent <laughs> yeah like it's so funny yeah and then she's like i have to scrub the floors and like clean the goblets and he's like you go do the goblets i'll clean the floors and whoever finishes first buys the other dinner and i was like oh okay <laughs> yeah kevin definitely got his daddy's diplomacy and his charm um yes. speaking of which oh my god I've been so excited to see Farazan in action. I've just been itching. And this episode was excellent for that. I was like, yeah, ah, he, yeah, that, that moment when he, um, there's like an angry mob at the beginning of the episode, mad that Galadriel's there. And the way that like he goes in and like turns the crowd and like, 
I mean, like he, he goes in and the things that he says are the things that the crowd wants to hear, but he like, I don't know what the word is for it. He dissipates, I don't know, all of the tension and is like drinks all around, you know, and totally like gets the crowd to calm down and, and everything. And I was, yeah, really impressed with that part. Honestly, honestly, that, um, the guy with the black eye, I can't remember what his name is, but the guy who that got decked by Halbrand, basically, who was like stirring yeah. up the crowd to begin with. In the first episode that we see Muriel and Farazan, that guy was standing right next to Farazan. And so I have a feeling that him and Farazan are working together and he stirred the crowd up on purpose so that Farazan could swoop in and do his thing and manipulate mm. to, to like frame like I think this is a long game of like Farazan framing himself as man of the people so that the second Muriel leaves which conveniently she has t- taking like several of the faithful with her that he can start orchestrating his his coup so true yes oh my gosh I love how observant you are that like those details I did not notice like at all did not notice that random guy standing next to Farrah's like wow that's really that's really great I'm so (laughs) invested in Numenor and that's why I will say my one of my like two minor quips with this episode was like I the line of like the you know the elves are coming to take our jobs I like oh my god I was like, okay, first of all, I mean, if you strip like the very clear real world parallel from that, I am interested because like xenophobia is not a modern sensibility. Job insecurity is not necessarily a modern sensibility. Um, and like, I am obs- interested in the idea of the Numenorians in their like rising fear and hysteria being intimidated by the elves it's like oh they're not only do they live longer they're stronger they don't have to sleep like the, like the core of that was interesting to me but like i would love to watch like a tolkien story without thinking of like donald trump you know i thought i thought that was a little oh my god right <laughs> that was a little much but other than that love that whole sequence it uh, oh um I think also like worth mentioning the episode opens with Numenor being destroyed. Um, and it's, I mean, cause when it first, when it first started happening, I was like, are, are we here already? Okay. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. That was, that was fast. All right. Yeah. I guess we're not going to see more <laughs> Numenor. Um, and then we, uh, and then I was like, this has to be a dream, right? This is a dream. Um, and sure enough, it was, it was Muriel dreaming. Um, and we learned that they have a uh, a palantir that I'm assuming has been passed down from king to king with this vision showing the destruction of Numenor beginning with the arrival of an elf. Um, and I was like, I understand now like how their uh, like ostracization, <laughs> I don't think that was a word, um, how them like breaking off their close relationship with the elves i understand why the kings would do that if they're like we have to protect the kingdom because we have to keep the elves out because our destruction is at the hand of an elf absolutely Um, so like that that was great like seeing that those little pieces come together and and everything and so like it makes sense like why the kings like from a strategy from like a um perspective of wanting to preserve the kingdom would break off their relations with the elves but like as a regular villager you know you don't know those reasons why and so having those you know feelings being exaggerated I guess and passed on from generation to generation is like how we see this like angry mob forming today you know 
Yeah, I think I, I agree. I think it's like I said earlier, I think that Numenor is the, is the core is like the heart of, of every second age, like beauty, triumph and, you know, failure and heartbreak. Um, And I think it's only effective like Numenor as a part of the plot is only effective if we like understand and empathize with the Numenorians, which is which is another reason I, I really disliked the like the MAGA parallel. I was like, well, that what are we doing here? You know, because because the, <laughs> the fact is like they weren't they aren't like an inherently evil people. They and this is another thing that's like tricky with with the time compression, which like I am at this point fully on board with because it would just be so impractical to be casting new humans every episode. But like, yeah, the, the slow but steady dissatisfaction and fear that grows from being able to like peer off into the distance and see this tantalizing silhouette of paradise that you'll never quite reach. And like once Sauron and his poison starts coming into play that like very understandable terror of mortality of like not viewing it as a gift but viewing it as a doom like that's so everybody's scared to die like everybody's scared to lose to lose that beautiful life that they've created in Numenor so like they have we have to retain that humanity which is why absolutely like it it does make sense that they'd be so discombobulated by Galadriel's arrival Mm -hmm. yeah um, and then speaking of which, Galadriel is trying to get Muriel um, to yeah. team up and go fight uh, who, who they believe is, you know, Sauron has already. And we don't, man, we still don't know exactly if Sauron has returned or not. Is he Adar? Is he, we'll get to that in a bit. But um, definitely there is a, you know, Sauron's power is growing in the Southlands. And so she's trying to get Muriel to, to send out you know, armies with her and team up and go fight. And Muriel is extremely reluctant because she knows she has this vision in her mind of, uh, of Numenor being destroyed. And um, like, I, I get so much more of Muriel's thinking just like as the queen, as trying to like take care of an entire kingdom and and do it you know with diplomacy and and everything like I get so much more of her in this episode whereas in the previous episode it was just like she's just annoying and (laughs) you know we didn't really like see much of her yeah I don't know what you would even like do in that circumstance of like yeah you know that something is coming that's going to destroy everything and how do you prevent it yeah, it's terrifying. Like she is in arguably the most difficult position right now because yeah. she saw firsthand what happened with like her father, who was just so vocally faithful to the old ways. And but and like on the other hand, she knows she can't forsake it, but she has to put on this like very public face that she's like pro Numenorian, pro human, whatever. Like she the balancing act that she is pulling off right yeah. now is Herculean. I do not envy her at all. Yeah. And I, I appreciate in this episode that we're done, we're, there's a moment finally of like Galadriel and Muriel, like having like actual conversation and talking rather than like fighting. And I'm like, cause I I didn't want to see more of that playing, uh, dragging out over the season. Like, I'm glad like, okay, we're on the same side now. We're seeing eye to eye, you know, everything that's happening with, you know, with like, Galadriel knows everything that Muriel is dealing with. Muriel has learned everything that Galadriel has told her that she's learned and they're on the same side. And I'm glad we don't have to like see 
more of like Galadriel trying to convince her to join them, you know, that like she made this definitive decision by the end of the episode that they are going to go um, to Middle Earth and fight this thing. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's so relieving to see like these two like powerful women not just glaring daggers at each other and exchanging, but especially because... (sighs) I like totally understand like Galadriel that we see in this show needs to be so radically different from third age, third age Galadriel because we need to see her arc. Right. But like sometimes and I think Morfid is doing like excellent job. She's oh my gosh. She's sensational. Um, but sometimes I fear in their like in like the directorial need for contrast from third age Galadriel that like we've gone like a little too far. Yeah. Like she's been kind of completely reduced of like status like you know the way like Gil Galad talked to her the way her like soldiers talked to her the way that she apparently doesn't maybe she maybe it's not that she doesn't have diplomatic skills maybe it's just that like now she doesn't have the patience for them but like I I, I like I really struggled with like Hallbrand being the one it's like have you tried have you tried being I just like you know this is Galadriel is like one of the oldest beings right like she was that, around yeah that's She's as amazing as amazing like as the like I there are just so many parts of Galadriel that I relate to and also that's just like a part of me like just like the little girl in me craving this kind of a character in a tv show for years and years and like finally getting this you know yeah but like it is extremely annoying to me that they've really made Galadriel to be very like naive and headstrong and i'm like she's like thousands of years old by this point she's older than everyone else she would have more tact and wisdom than this galadriel so i really don't appreciate that and i like i don't know if that's like to do with the timeline compression and everything but like it it is getting like really annoying of being no uh, uh, like Galadriel would know how to handle herself in this situation. Absolutely. This is, this is the Galadriel that like spent the first age with Melian, like in Melian's court, like Melian is like yes. one of the most powerful, wise, like woman rulers of like, you know, it's like, what like, and, and I, th- and I, again, I think if they had, if like they had made the directorial choice of like, she's so much older and why that she's like fed up you know but 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 yeah i'm i'm excited that we seem to be finally moving away from like a very like a, a, like you said naive version of her that doesn't know anything other than like <laughs> yeah i'm excited for this new galactic yeah, which Halbrand points out this is another point in my um enemies to lovers column for Halbrand <laughs> and galadriel that scene of them like arguing in the so galadriel gets thrown in jail right and halbrand <laughs> is just like playfully bickering with her the whole time and i'm living for it and he says right. like i know you're the kind of person to he always he keeps using the word gallop to like gallop headfirst into action against orcs and monsters but have you considered that these are men and like you might need to be a little more tactful here yeah. and um and they have this conversation and then at one point like Galadriel says would you like would you stop referring to me as a horse period and then he says and then he says if you let me stay in Numenor we have like we have a deal. I'll stop calling you a horse, you know? 
And I was like, I like they both put their faces through the bars as they're like arguing. And I'm like, I'm living for this. I'm living for this. Excellent contact. I'm really enjoying, you know, even though like, you know, like the lore part of me is like, what about Caliborn? Excuse me. But like, I'm really enjoying just like the chemistry that the two actors have on screen. And crazy. I am getting more and more invested in Hobbrand. I'm so interested. Um, and I, and I love, I love Galadriel around him. Like, and God, I loved Galadriel with, um, with Muriel, like later on in the episode. But yeah, they're just so fun. They're so fun yes. to watch. That's what, yeah, that's what I keep, I like made this meme, um, last week about like Galadriel and Halbrand. And so many people were like, um, well, that's not true because she's in love with Celeborn and right. like elves only fall in love once and like all this. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I don't think in this timeline she has met Caliborn yet or is married to him. And second of all, girly can have a little fun along the way. Like <laughs> <laughs> she can have some fun. And no, I don't fit. Like, no, obviously, Halbrand and Gel and Gelborn. What are their names? <laughs> Gelborn Hal and Galadriel are not going to be endgame. Obviously, Absolutely. I think it's going to go south very fast because I think, given Halbrand's background and like what we know to come in the future, I think things are going to go south for him. Um, which is going to be really painful, actually, because they are making him like a very like fun, playful likable character of like all these moments of him just like being sarcastic and like all these like smirks that he's giving her and stuff like that is going to be a bit painful when we're when we're seeing possibly uh like reverse you know a a destroyed or a failed redemption story for him like of his background you know yeah i okay so at this point you know, we we gotta address the elephant in the room. Who do you think he is? Just so I know. <laughs> I think he's just Halbrand, and I think he. I think he's just like I don't think he's. I don't think he's Sauron. I don't. I think he is going to go back. I think they're going to go back to the Southlands, and he's going to get there eventually. And there's going to be some failed attempt at trying to unite everyone or he will unite and lead everyone. And then there's going to be a battle or something that goes terribly and things go south for him. And he, uh, you know, is eventually swayed to quote unquote, join the dark side. You know, I think he, um, I've seen a lot of theories saying that like, Oh, maybe he is the witch King um, because he's the King of these people or he turns and maybe he's one of the Kings that, you know, one of the men that becomes a Nazgul. I don't know. I don't I, I think as far as like who is he, I think right now he's just Halbrand. Like he's just a man, you know. I don't think there's any like secret identity behind that, aside from what we've already learned about his past. I feel that. I respect that. I'm very torn. <clears throat> I'm very torn. I think I think on one hand, um, he could be the eventual king of the dead, because like if we follow this yeah. like this Southlands thread and like he goes back and especially if he's from Orodruin, like if he's from the mountainous um, colony in the Southlands, which like eventually becomes Mount Doom, that would line up with like the men who betray Isildur that he curses, like them being men of the mountains, like that, that would line up. But I don't know. Then with this episode, when like we see him literally talking through a jail cell to Farazhan, which aligns exactly with the whole Sauron thing because <clears throat> okay so originally in lore right the Sauron is confronted by a Numenorean army and he's so overwhelmed 
Like he's so like he see he recognizes the power and knows that he can't stand against it. So he allows himself to be captured and he ends up in a jail cell from which he manipulates Farazan. Now, like in my head, I'm like, okay, it would make sense that they don't do the whole massive Numenorean army thing because they want to save that for a later climax and it would just be logistically more difficult to have like multiple big army scenes for no for like I don't know, like if you're not actually fighting like a key war, I can see why they would cut that and finagle him into a jail cell in this way. And, you know, there's that cut where, like, that conversation with Farazan continued, like, even, like, after Galadriel was removed. So I'm like, ah, it's giving Sauron. That specifically is giving Sauron. But it, but now, you know when, like, you get so many clues that you're like, this is a misdirection? <laughs> yeah. That's also where I'm at. Although, yeah, I'm just so, to me, it's complete 50-50. Like, to me, he's either... He's either the future king of the dead, because like to me, his character is definitely being set up in one way or another for a fall. Or he is. Yeah. He is, in fact, Sauron. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I um in the previous episode, I was saying like, I don't I didn't like the reveal that like, oh, you're the king who has turned his back on his people and you have to go back and reunite them. Because I was like, are we really just going to redo an Aragorn plotline here? <laughs> But someone's, uh, I saw a TikTok. I, I'm so sorry that I can't remember the creator who talked about it, but they were saying, I think they're setting this up to be a parallel of Aragorn's story, but where Halbrand is like a failed redemption of yeah. him going back to try and unite these people and take charge and that failing. And I'm like, oh, I like that. You know, that that sounds really interesting to me of taking a story that we're all familiar with and kind of like flipping it on its head. So I think that'll be yeah, just like every time he shows up, I mean, like, first of all, uh, again, like love their chemistry. He's very attractive, obviously. So anytime he shows up, I'm paying attention, of course. But I am so interested every time he is on screen because it's he is just like such an unknown, you know, yeah. of, like. Okay, what's going on with this guy? Yeah. Okay, jumping. I, I feel like what one more thing worth mentioning about Numenor because we got there's like still so, so many much to talk about. Yes. Oh my god, and I don't want to keep us here for like five hours. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm in it. Oh my god, as Galadriel is leaving, she's been ordered that she is being escorted back to the elves, and she is leaving Numenor, and she has like pleaded with Miriel to. You know, maybe the reason that this vision comes true is because you don't go fight this war. And Muriel's like, I just, I can't take these chances. She's like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what do you want from me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so as Galadriel is leaving, the white petals from the tree start falling. And everyone is kind of lo- like, I, I tweeted and joked and said like, it was at this moment she knew she, she fucked up. up. <laughs> yes. Literally. Um, and, and like Muriel and Elendil and um, Farazan, like they're all kind of like looking around at each other like, oh, that's not good because these petals are falling. And I like I loved that moment. But then her like narration cuts in of explaining what this means. And like we... We see later on that it's her giving a speech in the present moment. So, like, sure, that makes sense. But 
I didn't, I, I didn't appreciate that moment because it felt very much like hand holding the audience of being like, Hey, remember this thing that we told you in the, pre-? it was literally the previous episode yeah, that she right. said, the petals do not fall idly. Many believe that when the petals fall, it's the Valar like casting their tears upon us in judgment or something. Yeah. And so I didn't appreciate that we have this little bit of narration explaining again what this moment is because I like, I knew what was going on. Everyone who is watching this show right now, I think is paying attention to those details and would know what's happening. So that part kind of ruined that moment for me. That's totally fair. I, I it, it was also like a minor like ding for me. I think I would have been really interested in, instead of re just fully repeating verbatim what we had heard the previous episode, I would have been interested in like yeah. keeping that voice over it, but it being a fully original speech that she's delivering to the Numenorians because like just diplomatically, like I would not, if I knew there was unrest among my people with like the Valor and the elves, I wouldn't repeat like, it's the Valar's tears, a reminder that their eyes and judgment are upon us. Like, I wouldn't do that because that would just sort of stoke up further unrest. I would yeah, really I level so with them. You know, I'd be like, like, my people, like, we have received the sign. Although, like, we prioritize Numenorians. But, you know, it's like there's a more diplomatic way of doing that. I would have been interested in hearing that better calculated yeah. speech from, from Muriel. But, yeah, you know. But <laughs> I do love, then, the reveal that, like, Galadriel has is still there that clearly she called the boat back and that moment of Muriel where where you're like oh she she made this decision to send Galadriel away and she immediately received a sign that that was not the right decision but she decided to go with it anyway and so I love that we see the reverse of that happening of she made like I, I just <laughs> I appreciate it when rulers and TV shows make like definitive decisions. You right? Know? Because that's what was missing from season eight of Game of Thrones. And it's so nice to see here. And it was also so nice to see Farazan's immediate like flip flop, like his two facedness where he was just like, yes, like go to Middle Earth, like go. Yes, please clear the way for me. <laughs> I was like, wow, he's he's living his best life right now. Yes. Um, with that luscious hair and beard of his oh my god he has the best hair in this show i think (laughs) he's he's really putting everyone else to shame he really really is yeah um god what else happened got the southlands (laughs) yeah so let's jump to the southlands now yeah um so who is adar we still don't really know um because he approached so he approaches erondir and Erondir has this conversation with him and is like, who are you? Why are they calling you father? And um, we learn that this person named Adar, who, by the way, he, do- like, he doesn't look like an orc. He just looks like an elf who has dropped off his like skincare regimen <laughs> and Absolutely. hasn't shampooed in a while. You know, like he looks like a fallen from grace elf. We learn that he was in like he's familiar with Beleriand and um because Aaron Deer says I was you know born in Beleriand and he mentions like a river that runs through Beleriand and so he's familiar with that land he's been around and Aaron Deer is like who are you and I appreciate those moments where when you when like a character is acting as the audience surrogate is actually yeah. ax- asking the questions that like you would want them to ask. Yeah. Like even Arondir had enough. He was like, let's get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and instead 
I hated this. It felt like such a cop out. He Adar releases him and says, send this. I'm going to release you and go see those men at the watchtower who think that they're being all sneaky and hiding from me. But I knew exactly where they are. Go send this message to them. And then he says, like, what's your message? And then we cut off and we don't see, you know, we uh, Aaron Deer doesn't come back into the episode for a while. And then, yeah, back um, at this watchtower where all of the villages have um, been seeking refuge, they're running low on rations. Theo has this idea to go back into the village and get, you know, whatever food stores were left over and to go during the day when the orcs aren't going to be out. And I was like, you know what? That sounds smart. Absolutely. That sounds like a great plan. But what happens is they they turn him down and he and his friend that you know these like teenagers go do it by themselves and i'm like okay well that's dumb um but the even before anything else happens with theo in this episode he has a conversation with bronwyn his mother where she's like i already have enough going on here i'm trying to like be like the leader of these people and they're all mad that they're here but like valid died if we hadn't left absolutely um either you're gonna help me or you're not but like you are not gonna be another one of my problems and he says like i'm tired uh i can't remember the exact phrasing but he says like i'm tired of like just sitting and waiting like it's time to like actually go out and do something and like fight against this and stand up and i it was in that moment that i was like oh yeah he's a hundred percent gonna be evil like if we haven't already seen the signs like he's going dark for sure like he's ready he's fed up with the way things are now and he's ready to take action one way or another, you know? Yeah, I think it's hard because, like, I see him so very much as, like, a teenage boy, you know? And, like, yeah. it's so hard to differentiate that from, like, you know, like, is he just, is he, are there seeds of evil or is he, like, a teenager? I, you know, obviously with, like, the blood and the sword, it's like, all right, is he going to be, like, the Witch King? Like, what's what's going on? I I don't know. I think I just get so sad when I see, like, a child being turned to darkness and I'm like maybe maybe there's redemption for our boy maybe like a Rondir's presence will help but I, I severely doubt it he does seem yeah does seem pretty on track for for darkness yeah, yeah it I would maybe feel a little bit differently about him if we had gotten to know Theo more before like this part of the plot was introduced to his yeah. character because like there's honestly like there's nothing about him that I'm like oh like I love that part how he like saved the baby cow or something you know like if they had like put in something of of showing like different parts of his personality but like kind of right away they show him being kind of a little <laughs> like immediately yeah. well i don't know I, I actually like really maybe maybe i'm just so determined to like i'm just being way too gracious toward this kid i like really like that he was like no like y'all you know, the rest of the men of this encampment are sitting around doing nothing. We're going to starve. Like, I'm going to go yeah. get food for my village. I was like, that's brave. And like, that's a good reason. And that's a good list. So like, I, I really, I really loved that. And I was like, this is foolish. Yeah. And it's like, to be honest, it's a failing of the adults around him that nobody went with him. Um, yeah. But I just like, that, like, no one noticed them leaving you know like what do you mean like put better guards put be like his friend irritates me more than him like his because obviously to me his friend is being a really bad influence and i'm like get this and also did you notice the friend who i think had um i think theo had like accidentally cut him or something i can't remember but like i know his friend got sliced by the the mystery blade his friend looks like really modeled up here it looks a lot like frodo's wound when he got stabbed 
or the Morgul blade. Oh, really? Okay, again, your attention to detail. Outstanding. I'm literally, like, pausing while I watch the episodes. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) I need to do that. I need to do that. Because, like, I do watch every... I do, like, my first watch through, you know, initial reactions and stuff. And then I do another watch through preferably like right before I record an episode so that it's really fresh in my mind but now I'm like do I need to do like a third watch through where I'm like going frame by frame <laughs> yeah of course I could be I could be like reading into that maybe maybe he was just dirty they, you know they've been through um, it I did yeah they are they are dirty and filthy peasants yeah absolutely um I did see some people analyzing I think it's Theo's shirt it could just be some random symbols but a lot of people were saying that it looks really similar to some of the like stars and constellations that the strange was looking for whoa the, like, pattern on his shirt or it, i'm pretty sure it was theo's shirt um it could cool. have been his friend's shirt but um either way it was one of those boys shirts has like some kind of pattern that someone was theorizing like could be like looks really similar and it's like it might just be a coincidence it might be a little bit of foreshadowing that like the stranger is gonna come find theo or something you know or he's gonna encounter him who knows that's really cool i'm gonna have to go back and look that's really cool i'm obsessed it's probably it's probably not a coincidence that's awesome yeah that's what i'm thinking like if it is if it does really truly resemble it there's no way that's a coincidence you know like those kinds of details are not i love those little easter eggs of things that like the average viewer if they miss those things they're not it's not like they miss a huge part of the plot but like the things that looking back on it when like hardcore fans are looking for those little hints and easter eggs like point to things or foreshadow things and you're like oh okay they were really laying this this path out for us and like here are the little easter eggs along the way yeah we love we love little moments we're like this is the thing (laughs) yes um so in the village where they're collecting food and everything they're like almost done and then theo's like no let's go in the tavern like just get one more thing and his friend is like i'm not going in there it's dark i'm about to like bye theo goes in and starts gathering some things then some orcs are there and jump out of the shadows and you know fight ensues and he theo pulls out the blade that just i get is it just like in the present does I, I kind of missed it. Does he like press his blood into it again? That makes the blade grow. Yeah. Or does it just like grow automatically when it senses senses danger? It looked like he like rewounded himself to like feed the blade blood, which is pretty metal, honestly. <laughs> um, very intense. I was like, this is a child. We love. Or it could. It also. It also could have. I mean, I again would need to rewatch that moment. But it also could have been that like his wound that he got from the orc. Yeah, his maybe. Blood, like yeah. reforged the blade, and so then the orc is like, oh, "That's it. <laughs> That's what we've been looking for." <laughs> yeah, it, it it is interesting that. That's who Adar, that's what Adar is looking for. And so it's like, like, I don't think Adar is Sauron. I don't think Adar is Sauron. No, I don't think so either. But it's this really interesting thing. Like now I think I'm just seeing it's tough because like, so obviously he's at the very least, he's a a servant of Sauron or like a servant of Morgoth or whatever. Um, I think he might be Maeglin. I've seen a lot of people, yeah, I was literally just looking up um, to double check, like, who these people are. Are the so girls, I didn't get are the, it wrong. Are the girls on board? Does, does everybody think that? 
Um, yeah, a lot of, yeah, I've seen theories going around yeah. that Adar is either Maeglin. Reminder for everyone, Maeglin is the little <laughs> who gave away <laughs> Gondolin to Sauron and the orcs. Um, and yeah. he is mostly, like, maybe that I could look past, but, like, the cherry on top was just that, like, he wanted Idril for himself and was like, I think it was Idril. It is Idril, um, his, his cousin, yeah. fully his cousin. Oh my god, fully his cousin and was like, no, I'm entitled to her. I'm in love with her. Um, and supposedly, you know, he dies in that battle. He gets yeah. yeeted off a cliff, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so that's one theory is that he's Maglem. Another theory is that Maglor. he is Maglor. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Maglor never his death was never like canonically. Never like, confirmed. Described. Yeah. And Maglor is again reminder is the second son of Feanor and so he and Maedhros ended up with the two Silmarils at the very like towards the very end of the Silmarillion but they burned their hands so badly and caused them to go mad and Maglor cast his into the ocean and then I think it just says like and then wandered away and was never heard from again um so his death we've never like read about or confirmed so like that one might be more believable um people have said but the the show doesn't have rights to the silmarillion okay Um, oh my god but (laughs) but a lot of people have also pointed out that the tolkien estate has given the show the writers have asked for rights to specific details or things from the silmarillion um and the tolkien estate could have very well granted them rights to, you know, the character of Maglor. Absolutely. Like, they are working directly with Simon Tolkien. You know what I mean? Um, They can ask for whatever they want, basically. And it's it's up to the Tolkien estate's discretion to grant it. The only reason I would go Maglin over Maglor, even though, like, even though Maglor's death, you know, leaves leaves that nice little canonical loophole um, and that, like, he was never, he was just, he just faded out of memory rather than like canonically yeah. died. I don't consider him as like inherently wicked as being like, like Maglor, yeah. Maglor did some like horrible stuff, right? Like he participated in the kinslaying and like, but then he like raised Elros and Elrond as his own. And like, he, I think he was kind of like more begrudging with continuing yeah. to follow Feanor's own. And, and towards the end of their journey, we see him trying to, trying to like leave behind their past and like move forward and Maedhros is the one who's like nah we're gonna go get the summer rules bro exactly Um, and I think he would be so I think like what happened with him and the Silmaril I think would have changed him so much that I don't think he would turn back to darkness in the way that we're seeing Adar do so Maeglin Especially from the perspective of like, oh my god, a toxic boy who thinks he's entitled to women and yeah. is scorned by their rejection. The original insult. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Like that makes for like that's a backstory of like real life people. Yeah. And <laughs> you he know, was, and today. He was like- so like that would make so much sense. Absolutely. And it like, it would also tie into what he said of like, I'm not a god yet. Cause like he was promised to be a ruler, right? Like he was promised power by this entity that like, it it would just make sense, like why he would have a motivation to bring back the person who has the power to grant him power, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just really, I really think it's him. I really think it's him. It would be, and I don't think it's like that 
he like died rel- he died relatively young so like i don't think it would be that like egregious of like a canon twist to to bring him you know what i mean i don't know i'm kind of on and board. i think i think there's also like so much i think you could also explain away his supposed death by like there was so much chaos going on with you know the the battle in gondolin the fall of gondolin that Okay, again, if I'm remembering all of this correctly, he gets like pushed off the same cliff that his father was pushed off of. Absolutely. So it could be that like, oh, they pushed him off the cliff and he was just presumed dead, you know, but like he's just like lying at the bottom of this chasm, barely alive and somehow like recovers from that. Yeah, like Sauron, Sauron could have intervened, you know. Yeah, because there's so much chaos with that battle and so many people died that like it you could very easily be like no no no, he didn't die there he was just presumed dead you know so again more interesting we'll have to see where that is um okay so jumping ahead theo is trying to run away and like escape from the orcs in this village and is like hiding from them and then at the last second someone swoops in and like kills an orc that's about to kill him and it's aaron dear and i did i did love that reveal that was a great moment for me that was just because like i knew it was gonna happen like as soon as like theo got swamped by orcs i was like for sure like our boy our king it's the kind of thing where like your brain realizes what's about to happen right as it happens and so it's that satisfaction of like oh i think this is gonna happen oh my god it did happen yeah so it's like a very triumphant moment i loved it i think i think the slow-mo sequence was like a little too long but then him like catching catching the arrow and then like the moment with the sunlight was so lovely oh my god amazing work. that moment where he catches the arrow and then in the same swoop puts it into his bow and shoots it period like oh my god amazing (laughs) so hot um i will say the yeah the way that they made that sequence slow-mo and it was underscored by this choral music and then there are all these arrows and like he's being chased by this pack of orcs i was like are we about to are they like setting up that like one of them is gonna die like it really felt like one of them was gonna die and i was also like are we about to have a boromir moment like just because there were so many arrows i was like he's gonna get boromir you know (laughs) um So, but then they escape into a field where the sun comes out. And so the orcs obviously don't want to come out. Beautiful moment. Beautiful. And this singing comes in and you're like, oh, okay, this is just like really beautiful choral music. But then we transition over and it's Disa singing to the mountains. <sighs> beautiful. Um, Real quick, before we jump over to the doors, just want to finish up this side of the story. So when Bronwyn and Arondir are catching up and stuff, he shares that the message he was sent to deliver is that they are either to submit their will to this leader or die which like we probably could have predicted that would be the message but for some reason i thought i thought it was going to be like the mess the message was like sauron is here or something or like sauron is back like i thought i thought the message was going to be like my name is sauron you know or something i thought Um, it was yeah didn't, even though I didn't think that guy was Sauron, I was like, I thought it was going to be directly mentioned Sauron. But um, yeah, that's the message that Aaron Deere was released to deliver, which again, I felt it was kind of a cop out of just like releasing him from prison when we just spent the previ- the entire previous episode watching him toil and two of his friends die brutally and trying to escape. And then just for him to like be released at the beginning of the next episode was kind of felt like kind of a waste of his plot line to me it is kind of interesting 
Like, I can see that it's, like, a play from Adar. Like, maybe, like, Adar's wanting for allies that aren't just orcs, you know? Like, when he was, like, you've been lied mm-hmm. to, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's trying to do damage control after he watched two of his friends mercilessly slaughtered yeah. in front of him. I don't know. But, yeah, it was it was a bit weird. But if Adar's playing the long game so that, like, you know, when he comes and inevitably raids the tower where Bronwyn's people are hiding, he'll be like... I told you, like, you've been lied to, uh, join forces with me to blah, 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 blah. Like, I can see that happening, but it was a bit out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. The Dwarven and Elrond, you know, side of the story. The Forge is making great progress that they have, like, teamed up to build. Celebrimbor and Elrond are watching it from, like, their tower, their window or something. Celebrimbor then said, I really, I absolutely hated this moment because it immediately made me be like, so, like, for obvious reasons, we're supposed to be wary of Celebrimbor, like, people who know what happens are going to be wary of Celebrimbor because of what he creates and, like, what happens. But this moment just really made me not like him because he does a thing where he like is about to say something and then stops and Elrond is like, no, what were you going to say? And he's like, I don't want to bring it up because, I mean, he is your friend after all. And to me, it felt like he was deliberately trying to drive a wedge between Elrond and Durin and like sow those seeds of doubt in their like very newly repaired friendship. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not about that. Uh, absolutely not sir (laughs) like stay away from them I love them but it does open up uh, he says I think Durin is hiding something he's being secretive and so that kind of like encourages motivates Elrond to like go do some investigating yeah I'm really really torn at this point on I think the elves in general, because like we have all these like brilliant, amazing actors with so much magnetism and nuance and gravitas, but there is like a certain, a certain familiarity to their political maneuverings that feels uh, a little West Wing to me that feels, and we saw a lot in episode one and then we got like a little break from that. Um, But like, yeah, like to me, I don't think elvish politics should feel familiar and especially when we have Numenor as the source of like political machinations right and so like mm-hmm. I think I think I think the elvish politics feel very um mortal feel a little modern um and I think I'm, I'm wishing for like a little bit more, more nobility despite the fact that you know like all the summer really is about elves just making poor decisions <laughs> right um but yeah that, I think that's that moment didn't ding me quite so much because I was because it only because Duran is hiding something. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, yes, he ended up being correct. But yeah. I didn't appreciate the way that he went about it. And like, I don't know. It's just because like, I just lo- I love seeing Elrond and Duran. Yeah interact like with my whole heart and so any I, I was like no we are not tearing this apart no how dare you absolutely truly like Duran's interactions with everyone are just like my favorite part of the show Duran and Disa Duran and Elrond my god like everything related to Casa Doom is my favorite part of the show so far love the dwarves oh my gosh I feel like who who could not love the dwarves um again the actor who plays Prince Dern is Owen Arthur shout out to him um I know he's listening <laughs> surely surely yeah Elrond goes to investigate and ask Disa like where he is and Disa is 
Okay, okay, again, I love the little hints of like domesticity where like you can hear the kids like playing in the background yeah. and then she's yelling at them and is like, stop, you know, like stop jumping off the bed or something, you know. I love Disa. Mm-hmm. I love this scene. I love seeing her. Like, I, I appreciate that we're seeing like Elrond and Disa interact a lot. And it's yes. not just like, oh, the wife of my best friend or something, you know, that like Absolutely. you can tell that like they're forming a relationship too. Yes. And so he is able to tell, like, he's able to see through her lies, you know? <laughs> yes. And we see her, because, you know, we, we saw, like, snippets of her, like, like you said, being, like, the wife. And, oh, my God, just every scene she's been in has just been so precious and sparkling. And this time, in this episode, we see Disa, the future queen. Like, we see her, like, in, in, in the lie that she told him, in, like, her... um her singing to the stone like we see Disa the future queen which is so cool and I also think that this is uh Robert Arameo's like best episode yet like him as like he's just so much come into his own and he has that that little fire that regality there um that I was so excited to, to see blossom I just absolutely I loved him and Disa I loved every single yeah. every single moment Ugh, so good. Yes. Later on, Disa and Duran are talking, and like it's it's a great mixture of the <laughs> the elf sight. It's a great it's a great mixture of them joking around with each other as husband and wife, and then also as um as like partners yeah. together, like a you know of mm. uh, like working on something together. And so Duran does say like, "Wow, that was a great lie you came up with. Like, good job, Elrond's <laughs> e- like is isn't easy to trick. Um, everything's going great in the old mines." And then yeah, we zoom out and. Those elf eyes, yeah, so Elrond is, like, sitting on a ledge, like, spying on them with those elf eyes, and I guess his elf ears, is he able to hear that conversation, too, or is he just, like, lip-reading? I think he was lip-reading, and, like, I was just so excited to see, because, like, my my favorite thing about, like, Tolkien's magic is, like, just all the soft magic, so it's, like, the flashes of foresight, the, like, the keen eyesight, the, the more, like, understated bits of magic, and so I just, I got unreasonably excited about the elf site. I got really hyped. And also people were joking on Twitter. It's like, oh, so that also means Elrond was like listening into their flirting back and forth too. (laughs) But period. As he should. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So great. Um, so long story short, Elrond goes and uncovers this secret that Durin has been hiding. And the secret is that they are mining Mithril, which a lot of people predicted when at the, I think it's the end of the second episode, they open like a little box and there's like something glowing in it. Um, I had like a very, I was like, I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be Mithril. I want it to be something a little more like uh, something a little less predictable or something like I wanted to be something really cool and magical and so I was making like joking predictions I was like it's a Silmaril (laughs) (laughs) they're bringing them back (laughs) I was like it because there's it like it annoys me to no ends that the Silmaril Maglor had he throws into the ocean and I'm like that's gotta come back up eventually, right? Like, it's not like he destroyed it or threw it into the depths of the earth. The ocean is gonna, that's gonna wash up on a shore somewhere eventually, right? Right? And so I'm like waiting for, I don't think that's ever gonna happen, but it just annoyed me to no end that like, that wasn't enough of an ending for that Silmaril for me to be satisfied with it. Anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) but it is Mithril. However, 
Elrond, when he like is looking at it, he he says it seems like it is lit from within, yeah. which is what the Silmarils are. So anyway, oh my um, god, I know it's not a Silmaril. You're but... like, I'm making this happen. I'm making this yes. happen. The entire mountain is um, a Silmaril. <laughs> yes, no. Um, <laughs> the secret though, why they're hiding it is because King Durin has ordered for them to stop this project because mining mithril is very dangerous. And then, um, case in point, a mine collapses. Um, we have, again, like lovely friendship moments throughout, um, this episode with Elrond and Durin. There's a moment where they are, um, where Elrond is swear, like Durin says hand to mountain, which is very serious for dwarves. And Elrond of course does it and is like, I promise I am not going to tell anyone. He's like, I have no idea what is going on. Like, why don't you just fill me in here? You know, like I want to repair our friendship and we can't do that with secrets. Um, and then when the mine collapses, Durin is going into, and I live for the moment of Elrond being like, Durin, no. And like Durin being like, I gotta go in there yeah. and such a great moment. And so that's why we see Disa singing to the mountains. It's like a prayer to the mountains to release the dwarves safely. And just such a beautiful moment, like very like somber, very regal, you know, reverent, just absolutely amazing. Loved it. That was so Tolkienian, like, uh, like the dwarves, like singing with this resonance to like to plea to the mountain. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. That yeah. felt so right to me. That felt so beautiful to me. And yes, I love the moment like hand to stone. You're going to swear this oath because like oaths, like words have power in Tolkien's universe. And like we see obviously with like the the oath of fan or like that, that to me, that was like. To me, that was almost an echo, like an allusion to just how powerful that oath was and just how you, you cannot yeah. you cannot make oaths willy nilly in the universe of Eru Iluvatar because you'll be held to it. Like you are bound to that destiny when you utter those words. Yeah. And I just I just loved it. That whole sequence was just so powerful to me. I was so excited. Yeah, just really great. The dwarves are all released and everything's fine. Durin comes out, though really angry with his father i didn't fully understand all of this of like why he was angry because his so his dad shut like the king shuts down this project once and for all and Durin comes in and is like really angry with him is like ah, i wish i could just tell him how i feel and what i'm thinking like with no having to hide anything or hold things back or sugarcoat anything like i wish i could just speak honestly with him and then he says like at the same time i wish i never had to talk to him again like real again the actor is so amazing like a really great moment of like anger and frustration and sadness in this moment disa has where she like looks over at elrond and you can tell where elrond and disa in that moment are like okay we're gonna we're gonna fix this like we're gonna address this situation you and i like we're we're all a team here yeah, oh my god yeah it was so beautiful um, and we got that i am so like obsessed with the lovely parental stuff that's being explored in this show i wasn't necessarily expecting it but like when when elrond said that thing about how he would like take anything from his father even if it was judgment just to like talk to him one more time i was like Oh, I my heart. Also, yeah, so, like, in that, I need to, like, look more into this. Apparently, 
it's a huge like running joke and meme within the fandom of mom's a bird dad's a star and I like never have seen that joke before and I like all of a sudden it's coming up again so yeah Elrond gives this speech about how dad's a star um and it never occurred to me the amount of pressure Elrond is under when he's like my dad sailed to Valinor and convinced the Valar to fight against Morgoth. And that ended up winning us the war. And then he received a Silmaril and became a star. Like, yeah, like talk about a like, legacy. My God. That's insane. <laughs> like it never once occurred to me, like the amount of pressure he's under. Um, that being said, I never really appreciate it in shows and movies and whatnot when you have one character expressing frustration about Mm. their parental relationship and then another character will come in and be like, well, at least you have a dad. These are like not things to say when someone is struggling with a relationship that they have with their parents. So that's a personal pet peeve of mine that... I don't, I don't appreciate that because it does nothing to take away from like, there are definite, like there are definitely like toxic parental relationships out there. And I think saying like, be grateful you at least have one isn't the answer. That being said, Elrond's speech works on Durin and he, you know, is like, yeah, I guess you're right. So yeah, I think I would, I think I wholeheartedly agree and would apply that to here if Doran was a human. I think what this was, was like the recognition of like dwarves are like, are like stone, right? Like they're difficult to move, but once they shift on a topic, like once their beliefs take hold, like they're very hard to move from that. And I think like this, Mm. like anger bubbling up in Durin, I don't know, like we see, I mean, we even see like in, I know people have been with the Hobbit movies. We see like how, how much dwarves can hold a grudge, right? Like that has been established in canon. Like dwarves are like hardy, like, a ferocious folk and I think this was more of a like and like Disa sending Elrond that look was like this is actually a problem and I think and we also see how old Durin's father is and I think it was more of a like I hear you but I think you're running out of time and I ran out and I don't want you to have to go through this so that's the way mm-hmm. I think yeah. if, I think he even said that to a human I would be like all right Elrond like literally relax you're ageless your dad is a star this is not the same situation but I think Jesus' D- yeah. look pointed to it being a more severe thing of like, I think he might fully be estranged from his father <laughs> if we don't stop this. So that's how I read it. But I, on principle, I completely agree that it's like. Yeah, like I understand that's a very nuanced way to view that conversation. And like, there's yeah. already too, like, there's already so much happening in these yeah. episodes and that like, we don't have time to like, go, yeah. but like. That but was you're just right like, though. But you're right. Like, don't ever do that. My personal pet peeves. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And then they end up, they end up like walking out of the room together, arguing about how Elrond and Durin met. And it's such a funny, cute conversation where Jesus like, so Durin tells me that he (laughs) saved you from two trolls. Um, Elrond, would you like to tell me your part of the story? And Elrond's like, I saved Durin from three trolls. I heard screaming and I thought it was a kid. Like I thought it was a (laughs) child. And like, again, they're dynamic. Absolutely love it. Love it, love it, love it. So cute. We get another very like wholesome scene between Prince Durin and King Durin. King Durin s- saying like, I don't want to leave you behind wondering how I truly felt about you and mm-hmm. like leaving my trust in you and faith in you to question. And he like comes out and says like, I'm supporting you 
like I will always support you no matter what and is like very open about it and like it's a very sweet moment of you know and like you don't you don't see that a lot you don't see those moments a lot between men on television you don't see those moments a lot between father and son on television so it was really great to see them being so caring and loving towards each other but like again in their own in like that's in a dwarvish way you know (laughs) absolutely like tender but make it dwarfish like yes yeah it was just it was beautiful yeah yeah I like I said Um, yeah yeah and then Duran says Elrond has invited me to Lindon tomorrow what do you think I should do and the king says like well what do you think and he says I think there's something more at play and he and King Duran is like I agree go to Lindon and find out great moments great moment okay i think we've successfully hit pretty much everything holy cow um what was your favorite moment from the episode okay 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 do you want me to go first i can go, go for first. it go first and i'll, and I'll brainstorm okay. my favorite moment was the very end of the episode because i love the theme for numenor is so powerful um created by bear mccreary in a previous episode i couldn't remember his last name and i was like all i know is his first name is bear (laughs) um anyway the theme for numenor i'm just living for it's so powerful but it also sounds it sounds like ancient and mythical because numenor is like an ancient and mythical place to you know in lore you know and like it's very like just I love it so much. I like almost want to get him on just to talk about that one theme. Anyway, um, and so we have this scene of everyone volunteering to go fight in Middle Earth. And you see, you see Isildur's friends who he got kicked off of sailor camp. They raise their hands to volunteer to serve. And Sildur sees that. He's like, this is how I can redeem my family name. This is how I can redeem my friendship with them. So he volunteers to serve and Ellen Dill is watching and is like, boy, what are you doing? The way that the theme is swelling as people are continuing to raise their hands and volunteer to serve. And Muriel and Galadriel are like looking at each other, a unified force, like watching it all come together. Just like top, like really great way to end the episode, in my opinion. Hell yeah. I just got so excited when it was like, Isildur is going to Middle Earth. I was like, period, period. This is where I, this is where it gets juicy. Um, okay. I think I'm a cop. I'm a cop out. So first of all, wait, wait, real quick though. In that scene, like, so Isildur's friend. I actually meant to say this earlier. My favorite. We we found out his name. I think last episode, but like Valandil. That ends yeah. up being the name of Isildur's youngest son later on, and that's that's who survives to carry on. The lineage of Isildur, that's Aragorn's ancestor. So the fact that oh he like Oh my gosh. He names his kid oh, after his so best right. friend. Isn't that so oh. cute? Well, that probably means that he's gonna die in battle then. <laughs> Absolutely. He will die a valorous death, and we hate and love that for him. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm this is a cop-out because I'm choosing a tie, but it's a tie between when um, the petals start falling after Galadriel's departure, yeah. and we see Mirio like turn and make make eye contact with Elendil, and they just like just those characters realizing the full gravity of what's up. 
or the the Duran Elrond oath, like that whole sequence of him being like, mm. I'm going to tell you, like, I'm going to make this, I'm choosing my friendship over, you know, any possibility of like telling your secret, whatever. Like, I just, I love that. Yes, good, absolutely. Good content. Yeah, I guess overall, this was a pretty, it's so funny, because I always go into these being like, I don't necessarily know how I feel about it. But I think I always just have like such fun, fun conversations with everyone that I end up being like, that was the best episode <laughs> of TVL ever, you know? <laughs> it's so cool. Like, it's so, it's very it's kind of reminiscent of Game of Thrones in that there are so many different factions and things going on, but you but you have like that complexity with like the lovely languid energy of Tolkien. And I'm living for mm. it. I really am. Yeah. 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 Um, well, Anna Maria, thank you for coming on. Um, again, great, like great conversation. <laughs> I'm so glad we we got to connect finally. Um, what would you like to share with the audience? Do you have any, you know, where can people follow you on the internet? Do you have any projects or anything coming up? Yeah, you can follow me uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at only Anna Maria. That's Anna Maria with two N's. Um, I am currently in grad school um, acting at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. So if you're in London, I guess keep a lookout for, <laughs> for shows I've got going on. But other than that, um, thank you so much for having me on. I I was so excited to meet you. I was like, this is going to be an excellent time. And it was. Yes. Yes. I'm, lo- I'm just, it's just so great to, because when I started this podcast, it was really hard to like reach out into um, the fandom and like other creators because I didn't want to be spoiled on anything. Right. Um, and so now it's really fun where like I can like connect more with people and and find other people to to hang out with and and geek out over all of these like over like freaking like petals falling, you know? We're <laughs> like the the ramifications of the petal. Absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the joy of it. Oh, so great. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBE.org. The cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at pod. And you can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at MCWhatsApp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash pod and join a tier that shows the level of support you want to show, which, by the way, I appreciate any level of support. All of that is genuinely wonderful and amazing. May I suggest joining the Discord tier for $3 a month? That is less than a pumpkin spice latte. And this week on Friday, I am planning to do a little watch party for episode five of Rings of Power. It's not going to be anything fancy. We will just all press play at the same time and have a live chat going in Discord. But it should be fun with a few people watching and being able to converse with people as you're reacting to things. Or maybe you have questions about what was that random thing or oh my god I forgot who this character is so it should be a fun time come and join us if you can or you can become a sponsor of the podcast like Steph Steph is our newest sponsor of the podcast I am so thankful and glad that people are still finding this podcast three years in I really genuinely thought that things peaked at the Lord of the Rings movies. I didn't think people would want to keep listening through The Hobbit, The Hobbit movies, and especially The Silmarillion. And so the fact that, Steph, you found this podcast and that you're enjoying it and you're supporting it really means a lot to me. 
And one more thing before we go, there is a friend of the pod who is going through a very difficult time right now. And if you could just take a moment to send out some positive thoughts, positive vibes, prayers, if that's something you do, just send it out into the universe, send it out to this person. You don't need to know who they are or what they're going through. And friend of the pod, if you are listening, know that we are all thinking about you and sending you lots of love. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Nothing other than a reminder that no matter whether you love or hate the show, and both are fine. It's a piece of art that uh, no matter what you think Tolkien would have wanted for a second age adaptation, Tolkien definitely would have preferred us to go merrymaking with our friends and taking a walk by some trees instead of being mean to strangers online. So be kind to each other and, and otherwise engage with the show as you wish. And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Period. <laughs>